Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. Just simply delighted to welcome you to worship today. Overflow, we love you guys. Thank you for worshiping with us. Take your Bibles. Be a part of everything we do in, in, in this moment. Uh, Church on the Square, Perry, Oklahoma, we love you so much. Brian Ahern, I've prayed for you all this week. God bless you guys in, in, in all you're doing this week. Open your Bibles to the second chapter of Acts. Today is going to be different. Just a little bit different. I want to talk to you today as, as pastor, as, as leader. Uh, I pray all the time that God will give me wisdom. I, I understand very, very fully that I am in way over my head as your pastor. I, I'm not capable. Uh, I'm not adequate. But I just depend upon the Lord and I ask for wisdom. And I know that God speaks to me. Now, I'm not saying that God speaks only to me. But I do know and I pray that God speaks to me so that I can always be leading our church forward. We just finished Fresh Encounter where we've been really seeking God's power and his presence with us and, and, and emphasizing the way that we want to be a part of what God is doing. So I want to share with you today what I feel like God is doing in our church and through our church. I want to talk about the future of our church and I want to help you uh, and, and myself find our place in what God is doing so we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2 and talk this morning about the church. I was uh, at Kariakis Park the other day running, and I, I saw a woman with, with a puppy. Uh, the puppy was the funniest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. He was very small, uh, only about this tall, but he had a gigantic head, a head about the size of mine, a, a big head, and he had these giant feet. I mean, they were big around as, as like dinner plates. Little bitty puppy, giant head, and, and huge feet. What does that tell you when you see an, a, a puppy like that? He's going to be big. You can look at that puppy and know he hasn't reached his size. It's, it's one of the fundamentals of, of God's creation. He has ordained everything that lives, everything that is alive, it will develop and change. It will grow. But the way God ordains things, everything has its proper size. Everything that God creates, it grows, but it has a, a, pro, a proper size. You can see that puppy and know it's not fully grown, but at some point it will be fully grown. Now, after it reaches its physical limits, its physical uh, potential, it will continue to develop and change and mature, but physically it has certain limits that, that God ordains. And I would say the very same thing is true for a church. Churches have a proper size. Every church has its proper size, and nobody on the outside can say what that ought to be, and every church is different, and God has his own plan and his own intentions for every church, but I fully believe that God has ordained a proper size for, for every church. Now, you need to understand something. For the most part, churches are small. For the most part, churches are small. Uh, this very day, if you look at statistics, uh, the, the vast majority of churches have fewer than 75 members. And there's not a thing wrong with that. you understand? There's not one thing wrong with that. Most churches are small. Now, our own church, no bigger than we are, we would be in the top 4% size-wise of all the churches in North America. Our church, no bigger than we are, is in the top 4%. So understand, most churches are, are small. The majority of churches that have ever existed had fewer than 35 members. So understand, small churches are, are typical, small churches are standard, and I fully believe that God loves small churches. He creates a lot of them. 
And since Jesus himself walked on earth, died, went back to heaven, ever since Jesus' own day, the gospel has been carried forward by smaller churches. And when I came to Woodburn as pastor, we were a smaller church. I think there was probably 75, 80 of us. And even at that time, uh, we would talk together and, and pray together. And, and I would say to you, I really believe that God wants us to grow by staying small. I knew that didn't make any sense. I didn't even knew, know what it would mean. But I was fully convinced that God had something different for us, that there was a different plan for us. We would grow by staying smaller. Now, one of the reasons I would say that is I would pay attention to you all. I would pay attention to people as they joined Woodburn. And everybody who would join Woodburn Baptist Church through the years would say, you know, we chose Woodburn because we wanted a small church. Okay, well, how many people can join a small church and it continue to be a small church? But, but those who were coming to Woodburn had a heart for a smaller church because small churches are wonderful. Small churches are weird. They've got character and personality, and you've been a part of that, and many of you have loved that. And honestly, Woodburn is still a church small enough to be weird. Just look up and down your pew. We got weird down all, all, all day long. Here's the thing. Throughout church history, churches have been smaller until about the 1950s. And in the 1950s, things changed. Things changed. Ask yourself what changed. After the 1950s, there was a lot of pressure on a pastor like me to grow the church. And by grow the church, I'm talking about this church, our own church. After about the 1950s, churches tended to want to grow larger. And after the 50s, especially in North America, some churches became absolutely gigantic. Now, it wasn't even thought of prior to the 50s. Churches just didn't grow like that. They grew the gospel advanced, the kingdom of God grew, but churches did not become larger than Disney World. Did you understand? And do you know why? Because before the 1950s, most churches' idea of growing was not seeing how many people they could get under one roof. Prior to the 50s, when a church wanted to grow, they didn't think about growing their own congregation so much as growing the kingdom of God. And so rather than just build on and grow and build on and grow and build on and grow, they would start new congregations. They started churches. I grew up in a church plant. I grew up in a mission church of First Baptist Franklin. Back in those days, First Baptist Franklin was on fire starting churches. You understand, churches used to think in those terms. A congregation wanted to plant other congregations, other churches, and that's how the kingdom of God spread. And as I say, about the 1950s in North America, that changed. At that point, there became a real pressure, and that pressure is still on me at times. There's an incredible pressure just to grow this church, just to see how big we could make it, to, to build on and, and double the building and just keep on adding and adding and adding to this congregation. Now, I don't think there's anything per se wrong with that. I just don't feel like that's how Christ wants us to grow. And I think we need to stop and, and think about what Christ has for us. I really believe that the key to our growing by staying small is church planting. I really believe that this is what Christ has for us. We're not inventing anything. This is the oldest thing in the book. 
Read the book of Acts, which we're just about to do, not the whole book. Read the book of Acts, and you'll see that this is how the earliest church did things. This is how they operated. Paul was a church planter. The church at Antioch was a church that planted churches. And I believe that God wants us to be a church that plants churches. I fully believe that. So I want us to stop this morning and talk about what that means. And honestly, I want to boil it all the way down to defining what a church is. If we're going to plant churches, let's get in our minds what that means. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, just a few verses, verse 41 to 47. And we're going to sort of tease out of this scripture the ingredients, what makes a church. I want you to take out a pencil and paper and number 1 to 7, 1 to 7. I don't preach with notes, so you take notes and you'll help me when I get lost in my counting. One to seven, number one to seven, because I find seven ingredients of a church. This is the place in Scripture where the church is first born. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter has just preached, and 3,000 people get saved. It's amazing. 3,000 people are saved. And at this point, Acts stops, the book of Acts stops and sort of talks about what the church was on this birthday of the church. And I think we can find seven ingredients. Now, if you take out even one of these, I don't think you have a church anymore. So we're going to talk about the bare minimum, what makes a church. If we're going to plant one, what do we have to have in order to call it a church? Acts chapter 2, verse 41, all the way to 47. Pay attention. Look for the definition of the church. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Wow. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right, sit down. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. I see the first ingredient in the first verse, verse 41, and in the last verse, verse 47. What's the first ingredient? What makes a church? Uh, believers. <laughs> there you go. But believers. Believers. Uh, verse 41. The Lord added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. They believed what Peter said, were baptized and added to the church. Verse 47, uh, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So understand, the church, the definition of church begins and ends with evangelism. It begins and ends with the gospel. We share the gospel and people get saved. This is the function of the church to advance the kingdom of Christ. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about our congregation. It is about the kingdom of God. 
It is not ourselves that we lift up. It is Christ whom we lift up. And when he is lifted up, he draws people to himself. Peter preaches the gospel for the first time in history on this day. And 3,000 people, it says, are chomping at the bit saying, what do we do? What do we do? They respond to the gospel. They are saved. And the church is born. You understand? It begins and ends with evangelism, with people getting saved. So right there. If we're going to talk about planting churches, we got to get serious about evangelism. Church planting, planting churches is an outgrowth of evangelism. Now, this is where a lot of people get it wrong, I believe. Recently, I saw an advertisement for a new church, and the church billed itself as a church for people who are bored with church. A church for people who are bored with church. So who are they targeting with their new church? Church people. Bored church people. Come to think of it, let them just have all of them. But, but think about that. Think about that. They're starting a church for church people. In my mind, what a waste. Don't we have enough churches for church people? I, I think we got the church people covered. I think what we need are new churches for new people. For people who aren't in other people's churches, church planting is about evangelism. It's about winning souls. And it's the only reason we should want to do it. Now, when we first planted the Franklin campus, there was that, that turfism. There were churches in Simpson County who were concerned that we were only coming down there to steal other people's church members. They thought if we come down there, we were just going to try and suck members out of everybody else's church. That was never our goal, and that's not what we've done. Praise the Lord. They're baptizing in Franklin all the time. People get saved at the Franklin campus on Wednesday night. I didn't know people could get saved on Wednesday night. Notice what the scripture says. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. People get saved every single day in the early church. They get saved on Monday. They get saved on Tuesday. They get saved every day. It's about evangelism, people. Church planting is about evangelism. The church itself is always about the gospel. And if it's not about the gospel, I'm not sure you can technically call it a church. It's the gospel. It's evangelism. It's telling people about Christ. I really think that one of the churches we will plant, God willing, God willing, I think one of the churches we will plant will be in Indonesia. I believe it will be in a region called Gunung Kedul. I say this because I've prayed about this a long, long time. I got a burden from the Lord that, that he really wanted our church to be involved in international church planting. Well, Brother Tim, can't we just do it in our own backyard? Yeah, we can. Of course we can, and we will. Your backyard too. We're going to plant churches in everybody's backyard, but you've got to understand the whole world is God's backyard. The whole world is his backyard. He would think nothing of taking some of us to plant a church in Indonesia. I'm not saying you're going to have to move there. But understand, I'm saying we can preach the gospel there. The, the way the Lord was working in my heart, I became very convinced that God wanted us to do something with clean water. It's one of the greatest needs around the world. One of the greatest physical needs is a lack of water. I had this burden that God wanted our church to do something with clean water in, in international missions and something to do with church planting. That's all I knew. 
So I just started picking up the phone like a moron and asking people, you know, how could these things come together? What can we do? I was eventually connected to a guy who connected me with a guy who suggested that I get in touch with a missionary named John Trout in Indonesia. There's a region there called Ganun Kadul that is famously without water. These people have no water. No water. And no churches. Are you listening to me? No water, no churches. A Muslim country. Man said, you need to talk to John Trout. I'm thinking, how will I ever find John Trout in Indonesia? Turns out he was in Louisville on furlough. The next week I was having lunch with John Trout. Seeing John, it seems so crazy. I just feel like the Lord wants us to be involved with clean water and planting churches. And John said, I want to work with you. I want to work with you. How would you plant a church in Ganun Kadul? Well, you go, you dig a well. You do whatever it takes to bring the people clean water, but the whole time you're doing that, you share the gospel. You share the gospel because long after the well is dug, we want people to be responding to the gospel. People will get saved because we will share the gospel there, and new converts will form a church. You understand? It's evangelism. When you have converts, when you have Christians there, they will form the church. This is the simplest thing in the world. It's how the gospel is advanced. It's how the kingdom grows. You share the gospel, people get saved, they form a church. So guess what? September, our first team is going over to Indonesia. We probably need five guys. We've got two. Here's the plan. Two guys are going to be going to scout out the water project. Jack Wright's going to lead that group. Want to know something funny? I walked up to Jack on the sidewalk last summer. I said, Jack, I know this sounds crazy, but I really feel like the Lord is leading us to do something with clean water and something to do with Indonesia. And Jack said, yes. I said, well, we'll get together and talk about it. He said, we can talk about it, but yes. You know, Jack feels like his whole life prepares him for this. Amazing. Jack's going to need a partner to scout out the water project. Three guys we're going to drop on the coast they're going to backpack up the coast for four or five days, village to village, sharing the gospel. When you guys will do that? Want to hear something funny? I was talking to one of our church guys two weeks ago. I told him about the trip. He said, you know, I don't know what this means, but you know what? I was at a yard sale the other day, and I bought a backpack. And I didn't even know why. I mean, I bought a big backpack. It's a big backpack, and I didn't even know why. Y'all want to guess why? Two possibilities. Either he's going to carry it to Indonesia or he's going to loan it to you. <laughs> I get this idea God's collecting backpacks. Understand? Why would we do that? To share the gospel. Understand? Yes, we want to take them water, but we want to give them living water too. We could plant a church in the place where there are no churches. You understand? We can do that. I believe God wants us to do that. It's evangelism. Church planting begins and ends with evangelism. When we share the gospel, people will get saved. And when people get saved, you need new churches. You need new churches. New churches reach new people. New churches reach new converts in a way that established churches like ours simply can't. You want to know why new churches reach so many people? Why so many people get saved and baptized and the new churches grow so quickly? Because if you get saved this week, you still got friends in the bar. 
You understand? If you get saved, you still got family and friends that aren't saved. And so it's this incredible ripple effect. As one person gets saved, they start bringing their friends in. It's the most amazing, wonderful thing when the gospel begins to explode. And that's how churches get planted. And that's how I feel like God wants us to plant. Because we're going to share the gospel with all of our heart, with every breath, with all of our resources. We're going to carry the gospel into the community of Woodburn, into surrounding counties in North America, wherever God leads us. And he can lead us anywhere. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care. It's nothing for him to pick you up and drop you in Ganoon Canoe. It's just nothing. Nothing for him. Because he cares about his kingdom. He cares about his glory. And he wants us to care about it too. Number one, evangelism. Number two, notice what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, stop right there. Apostles' teaching. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Peter, James, and John. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about all of these wonderful men, eyewitnesses to the cross, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. These men were so gifted in teaching, they knew Christ so intimately. And these were the the pastors, these were the church planters, these were the leaders of the early church. And right here in the book of Acts, it says that the believers devoted themselves to that teaching. Okay, we don't have any apostles today. Peter, James, John, Paul, they are all gone. But what do we have? We have the word, we have their writings. Understand, when the book of Acts is written, there there was no New Testament. You had the living apostles, but they wrote down their witness, and we have it now in the scriptures. So we must be devoted, fully committed to God's word. It's the second essential ingredient of a church. It has to be about the Bible. It has to be built upon the foundation of God's word. If a group of people, even if they call themselves a church, if they're not fully committed to God's word, understand, I don't really think technically you can call them a church. It's got to be about the word. It's got to be about the scriptures. Now, we all like churches that have a lot of programs. A good youth program helps. We all want a wonderful children's program. People want a senior adult program. They want vans running. They want a nice facility. But I'm telling you one thing. You can have a church with none of those things, but you can't have a church without the Word. You can't have a church without the Word. Now, I'm not one to judge or criticize other churches, but I'll tell you, there are churches where nobody ever cracks the book including the pastor. There are churches where nobody ever opens the Bible, nobody ever reads it, not even the pastor. I have grave concerns about a group like that that calls themselves a church. The the ingredient, second ingredient, is a commitment to God's word. Let's keep going. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, say the word, fellowship. It's not just a commitment to the word. There's a commitment to one another. And it is ingredient to the church. I think this is why churches do have an appropriate size. And you can never say what that size is from the outside. But everywhere I read in the New Testament, a church has to be of a size where people can know and love one another. You've got to know and love one another. Something is profoundly wrong at this church if you people walk through the halls and pass each other like strangers. If you can't even say good morning, you've got to be committed to one another. The word there for fellowship is koinonia. It's a Greek word that means deep sharing. 
deep sharing. It is more than friendship, but it's certainly nothing less than friendship. It's, it's friendship. We are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we must be deeply committed to one another. They're devoted to fellowship, the Scripture says. This is one of the things that Woodburn Baptist Church has always done well. We've loved each other well. It's one of the reasons I feel like God would want more churches like ours, because we have a deep fellowship, a deep love. We don't want to lose that. We never want to lose that. Keep going with me. Evangelism, commitment to the word, commitment to one another. And then notice what it says. They committed themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Notice back in verse 41, it says the believers were baptized. In this short scripture, this birthday of the church, notice how important the ordinances are. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. I think if you have a group of people, even if they call themselves a church, if they're not engaging in baptizing and in sharing the Lord's Supper in whatever way they choose to do that, I don't think that they're truly a church. The ordinances are commanded by Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Go ye therefore into all the world and baptize. Understand, these are things that Jesus has commanded us to do. They're not optional. And if we're going to be a church or plant a church, we have to plant groups that enjoy and share the ordinances. Verse 44, and all the believers met together. Does it go without saying? They gotta meet regularly. We're on number five now, if you're still following the list with me, number five. You gotta meet regularly. Turn back to the verse that was shared earlier in the scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Verse says, let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. Don't ever neglect meeting together. It's an ingredient to the church. you got to have regular meetings. If we plant churches, these people have to meet regularly. It seems to go without saying. Notice the next part. This is the fun part. Verse 44. All the believers met together in one place, and they, say it, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Wow, giving, giving. It's ingredient to the church. God's people give. God's people love to give. Of course we're talking about money. Everything takes money. And money is how needs get met. Money is how ministry often happens when we give money. But it's not just money. Don't get tied up in money. Because it's more than money. Notice how the early church worked. Everybody shared everything that they had. Their money, of course, but, but their home, their resources, their time. They just shared everything of themselves. And that's how needs got met. Do you understand? It's a simple principle. You share and needs get met. Is that still possible in a church like ours? A whole lot of people. Is it still possible? Y'all aren't convinced. Let me show you how it works. How many of you right now in this house, right now in this house, if you knew that there was a widow in our congregation who needed medicine, she needed $20 to pay for medicine, how many of you would help her with $20? Yeah, yeah see, I, I, I knew that. I, I knew that. How many of you, if there were a single mom in our congregation and her children got sent home from school with head lice and it happens, 
sent home with head lice, and before they can return to school, they've got to have their, their head scrubbed with that nuclear shampoo, and then you got to go through and comb the nits out of their hair. Anybody ever done that? How many of you would help a single mom comb the nits out of her kid's head overnight? Yeah? Fewer, but you would. Yeah, you would. Yeah. How many of you, I love this one, how many of you, if you, if you got a new car, and you knew there was a family in the church that needed a car. How many of you would, would give your old car? Give a car? Yeah, yeah. Y you know, I'm not making that up. I know that three of you have done that. Three of you have done that lately. God bless you. And I know the rest of you too. Some of you are sitting there going, well, I wish somebody would give me a car. Wish somebody would give me a car. Wish somebody would do something for me. Yeah, do you understand? And this is a sign that there's something wrong with your heart. Do you understand? Because Jesus says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the heart of Jesus. And when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you're not going to sit there thinking, I wish somebody give me a car. Brother Tim, have them raise their hands again. I'm going to see who's giving cars out. I want a car. No, no, no. No, that's not how the heart of Jesus works inside your chest. You don't think, I wish somebody give me a car. You would think, oh, I would love to give a car. I hope that one day I could do something like that. You understand? That's how it works. There's a man in the hospital. How many of you would go by and mow his yard while he's sick? Would you mow a yard? Yeah? Awesome. How many of you would, would clean out your closet if you thought somebody needed clothes? Right now, you do it today. Clean out. Yeah, of, of course you would. How many of you, if you knew there was a lonely person, would, would have them to your house and, and let them eat supper with you? Lonely person? Yeah, absolutely. Do you see? That's how it works. That's the church, but it depends on two things. you got to ask for what you need. You can't just walk around and try to look a little bit pitiful and see if people will read your mind and clean the nits out of your hair. You understand? you got to ask. We don't read minds around here. Nobody can. We don't know what you need. I know that you wish that we all would just know, but we don't. And we don't all read Facebook. Sooner or later, you just got to ask. You got to come forward and say, I need help because I'm telling you, this is a church that knows how to help. We'll do it. You got to ask for what you need and then you got to give what you have. That's the church. It's about giving. It's always, always about giving. Number seven, one more thing. They worship together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while. Praising God, all the while praising God. It's about worship. It's always worship. Notice there at the top, it says that they devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer and praising all the while. It's about the Lord. It's about worship. We plant a congregation. We're going to plant a congregation of people who worship. If they don't worship the Lord, if they don't praise him, if they're not devoted to praying, then, then, then we've, we've planted some sort of monstrosity, but it's not a church. D -d devoted to worship, devoted to the Lord. Now, as you look at these seven ingredients, understand we need to measure ourselves by these seven things. If you want to understand how healthy or unhealthy our church is, I think you can look at these seven things right here and, st and just start taking our spiritual temperature. This is what a church is. But understand, this is what a church is. If God wants us to plant churches, we're going to plant groups that, 
that are about the gospel. Out of the fruit of evangelism, churches will form for new converts. They're going to be committed to the word and committed to one another. They're going to baptize and celebrate the Lord's Supper. They're going to meet regularly. They're going to give and share, and they're going to worship the Lord. It's that simple. That's what a church is. So understand, if we talk about planting 20 churches, we're not talking about trying to build 20 buildings like this. You understand? You don't even have to have a building to have a church. I don't see building listed here. You don't have to go and do 20 church plants like the Franklin campus. Franklin campus is wonderful. Praise God for it. But there are an infinite number of ways to plant a church, and there are an infinite number of of, of ways that the church can look. And Franklin campus is one example One example, the next church we plant may look nothing like Franklin. Do you understand? But it's got to look like this. To be a church, it's got to look like this. I feel like this is what the Lord is saying to me as pastor for this church. I feel like this is what the Lord is saying to me. But I do not believe that I'm the only one that God speaks to. If our church is going to plant churches, you understand? That's going to have to be something we do together. And I'm asking you to pray and figure out what your part is in this. You're going to have a part to play in this. I think I know my part. It's been made very clear to me from the Lord. I know what my part is. I'm the pastor of this congregation. I am the pastor of this congregation. Woodburn Baptist Church is my pastor at my field. God has called me here to be your pastor. That's not changing. I can't be the pastor of 20 churches, and I won't be. Do you understand? I'm your pastor. I will be your pastor. I do think that God wants to do amazing things through through this church, through this congregation. You understand that? I hope you know that by now. I fully believe that God wants to grow something amazing out of this this field, out of this flock. I think God wants to do something uh, amazing out of you. But my job in that is to to lead and feed you. I'm going to be your pastor through this, and that is my part. It's all that I can do. I must continue to plow and work this field. I must continue to plant the seeds of the gospel here among you. I must minister to you. I must feed you so that you can serve the Lord, so that we can all work together, so that we can find together the future that God has for us. I think I know what my part is. I'm very honest with you. But now it's time for you to figure out what your part is. There are men in this church that are going to go to Indonesia, I pray, Lord willing, in September. It's time to step forward now and make that commitment. In this church, there are pastors that God is raising up. I fully believe that. Some of you have a call of God on your life to be a pastor or a church planter. You understand? It's time to step forward now. I think God is ready to take our church forward. It's just time, brothers and sisters. I believe it's time. It's time for us to talk to the Lord. It's time for us to talk to one another. It's time for us to begin moving forward into the future God has for us. I I think I'm hearing my part. I I think I'm seeing part of this vision. But now the vision waits for you to see your part. Now the vision waits for you to learn your part. I think God is speaking to my heart. But mine's not the only heart that God's got to speak to. He's got to speak to all of us. 
brothers and sisters, I think it's time to find your place in Woodburn Baptist Church. It's time to figure out how you're going to serve. It's time to figure out what part of the future of this church is, is going to be up to you personally. What's God calling you to do? What's God asking you to do? Do you know yet? If you don't know yet, you need to be on your face praying to God, asking him what your part is. Do you know your part? Then it's time to step up. It's time to serve. I really think it's time to plant some churches. Pray with me. God, help us. It is not this church that we're trying to grow. It is your kingdom, Lord, that needs to grow. Oh, Jesus, when you talked about the kingdom, you talked about it being something like leaven that starts small and then rises and expands to fill everything. You talked about the kingdom of being something like a, a seed of mustard that starts out so small but placed in the ground, it grows into a tree, it grows into a nesting place for birds, something small that grows, Lord. Oh, God, we know that your kingdom continues to expand, Lord. Your kingdom one day will fill the entire earth. And for now, Lord, we have a part to play in that, a part to play in, in, in preaching the gospel, a part to play in multiplying churches. Oh, God, we could continue to add people here. We love to grow. We love people. But, Lord Jesus, we know, we know, Lord, the kingdom's better served by a multiplication of churches and not just the growth of one church. Oh God, help us to hear your voice as individuals, as a church. Help us to figure out, Lord, what you're leading us to do. Help us, Lord, to dream big dreams. Help us to be brave. Help us to be generous. Help us to be selfless. Help us to be absolutely captured by the gospel so that it's always on our lips, so that it determines where our feet go so that it occupies our thoughts and minds, so that all our best resources will go to sharing the gospel with the world. Lord Jesus, we're still pretty much a small church in a hit town in South Central Kentucky, Lord. I can't imagine we matter to anybody but you. But Lord, it doesn't matter if we matter to anybody but you. Lord, you have a plan for us. You have ordained a purpose for us. We don't want to miss it. Set our hearts on fire, Lord, that the kingdom of Christ can be advanced through us. Lord, we make ourselves available to your service. Take us, choose us, use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.